Father God, I come before you right now and I ask that as we get to the message today, um, that you just pour out your spirit. Father God, you know there's nothing here that I bring. I can only cling to the blood of the cross of Calvary. And I'm asking, Father God, that you be the one speaking and not I. And as always, I ask for my brothers and sisters in this church that as they hear the message, they may, receptive, they may be receptive to your word. This is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say amen. So, it is okay to be happy. I, I, I wanted to share this message, and I've been trying to say this. If you know, each message is building up. I'll be here the next two Sabbaths, next week and the following week. Then I go to Perry, and then I'll be back the fourth Sabbath from there. But you notice the messages are building up, and the message is okay to be happy. This is very crucial, because let me tell you this. Some of those meanest people that I've ever met are Christians. Come on now. Yeah, if you can't say amen, I mean, you see it in their faces. You ever seen those, uh, uh, for, for you older folks, a meme is when they put a photo online with a caption, okay? You ever seen those memes with a grumpy cat? That just has that look that, you know, and they put like little funny captions there. It's because, you know, uh, some of us in church, we look like that. I mean, we struggle with, uh, we sing songs like, I've been redeemed, redeemed, oh, how I love to proclaim it. And we're singing, redeemed, and it's like, really? You know, and I got the joy, joy, but I got the joy, joy. And your face says something, your voice says something, but your face says something else. And then, you know, here's the church where Jesus says, come as you are, but we stand at the door making sure that you meet our criteria. And I check this. Let me see. Let me see. You're good. You're good. Mm, not you. Okay. I mean, we, we sit here and we do these things and it's not how it works. It is not how it works. There's a joy that God wants to be within our souls that it doesn't matter what we're facing. It doesn't matter what we're facing. We will always rejoice. And so, you know what I find interesting that church member from the other church that got me to go to one of those recovery meetings, I actually went last night. And if, first of all, let me tell you this, it's a four-hour meeting, okay? Yes, glory, hallelujah, to the Luya. It's a four-hour meeting, and when they got to the service, um, for 25 minutes or so, we got to stand up and just sing, God forbid the praise team invites you to stand up except for the opening song. I'll get emails and text messages saying, why are we standing up so long in the church? But also, this is a recovery praise not only for people who struggle with alcohol, people who struggle with um, adult bedroom stuff, and I'm trying to censor that, people who have been abused as children, people who struggle with, with all kinds of things, and this is a recovery praise. And some of them have been beaten by addictions. Some of them in there were, were dying to get a fix. And yet, while we were sitting there praising God, you look around the room and they were truly happy. They were truly happy. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering why is it that we cannot get that kind of worship, not just here in Tallahassee, but in all of the churches that I visited, that we can just really truly worship God. That it is okay to put our hand up a little bit and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And you're able to just, 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 just do that. And I'm not saying that we're just going to do this thing where we're just jumping around for no reason. I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying put up a show for everybody. But what I'm saying is that it is okay to be happy. And it is okay that if you were once lost, but now you're fine. If you were blind, if you now can see, if you were sick and now you're healed, it is okay to say glory, hallelujah. 
We get more excited about Black Friday sale than what we do about God redeeming you today. You will not believe how cheap I got this on Black Friday. Cha-ching! Then yet we have a Messiah who died for you and me, who came, who's coming back to take us home. And yet we sit around here just whatever. Like it doesn't matter. And I struggle with that. And I'm wondering if for the folks who are in this recovery center, if it is because the very first thing when they go in there, they say, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I am an addict. Hi, my name is Joey, and I am a sinner. Yes, I've been a sinner since the day I was born. Yes, some days I do well, then some other days I fall flat on my face. Sometimes I'm thinking, I am doing all right. Oh, hi, mighty, and then I fall even harder. I wonder if it is because we come to church pretending as though we are holy. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why we struggle in being happy. I wonder if it is perhaps because we think that as long as we're better than somebody else, then, 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 then we are okay. So we go around looking, oh, yep, I definitely wear that suit better than he does. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe that sister wear that thing to church today. Mm-mm-mm. See, Jesus, I'm perfect. I don't know about all that. And so we're coming over here trying to put others down to make make ourselves feel better but when we compare ourselves not to others but to God we recognize that we all fall short of the glory of God but the cool thing about recognizing how short you have fallen of the glory of God the easier it is to recognize how much in need of a savior we are I saw those folks there last night, and, and they're sitting there, and, and they're saying, look, you know what? I lost everything because of my addiction, my job, my wife, my family, my kids, and all I have is God. And you know what? His grace is sufficient, that he could love someone like me. And so when they sing songs like, I have been redeemed, and I'm happy, and I got the joy, 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 they really do because for the first time ever, that void, that emptiness that was inside their heart has been filled by Christ Jesus. Many people go around try to fill it by other things, but that is not how it works. The only one that can fill that void is Jesus Christ. And they have discovered something perhaps that we still have not because we may be too busy playing church rather than being followers of Christ. And this is not a social club. This is a movement. Are we disciples or are we just part of some kind of group where we have our hierarchies and rankings and we figure out who can wear their Sabbath best? It's not how it works. I want to go with you to the scriptures. I want to share with you why it is perhaps that we as Christians struggle a little bit to be happy. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And, and I want to share some things perhaps this may be applying to you for the first time. Perhaps not all of these things apply, but some of them will. Um, and, and, and perhaps this is a reminder or maybe you're saying, wow, that is what I've been missing all along. James chapter 1, we're beginning on verse 2, and when you have it, say amen. James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, when you mess up, fall flat in your face, and it looks like the whole world is caving in around you. Consider it joy, says the scriptures. How, how is that? What, what, do you, what do you guys think about that, huh? I mean, it is saying when things look ugly, when things look bad, when you fall flat on your face, just consider all joy. Why is that? Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, 
But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And I love this here. Those are members of the church board, you know, a couple of months ago, I shared this text with you. And, and we, I want to talk about this a little bit more because here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you really recognize the spiritual warfare that we're in, all right, and you have two sides because guess what? Not choosing God, it is choosing the opposition. And because the question in Revelation, at the end of Revelation, is whom do you worship? Not what outfit you wear to church, but whom do you worship? Are you willing to follow the Lamb wherever He leads or not? Are you willing to go wherever the Lord says, Thou shalt goeth or noteth? Right? And so the idea is that that is the only question. And so if you're doing everything right by God, what do you think the enemy is going to do? But attack you, attack you, attack you. If you're not doing anything for the advancement of the kingdom of God, it seems like things may fall into place. You know, I have a family member, I won't disclose who in case he comes visit someday, who was doing things in the world, dealing and stuff like that, and, you know, uh, uh, and trafficking in drugs that were not necessarily legal. And, you know, he's all of these things. And he's saying, you know what, when I was doing things wrong, I was flowing in dough. I was doing all right. But then as soon as I try to do things right, I lost my job here, this is there, and I'm trying to stay in, in the legit path for the case of my children, and I still cannot. And, and so he's like, I'm struggling with this. And so that's what happens. You make a decision for God, you try to walk rightly, and it seems like everything, if anything possible, will go wrong. Now, some things we bring upon ourselves. But most of the time, we are either directly being attacked or indirectly being attacked by the devil. Either way, this is a spiritual warfare. And when testing and trials come your way, you need to just consider it all joy. This is for the molding and shaping and the perfecting of your faith. You know, um, I'll share a story with you. I have a lot to share. I'm only sharing the ones that can be listened to in a family setting. Um, but I have learned, I have learned that the enemy is really good at knowing how to tempt you. You know, in general, in general, um, for, 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 Pat, for everybody in general, they say there, there are a couple of challenges that we struggle with. We struggle with either money, woman, or pride. Those are like the top three that just beat down pastors. Money, woman, or pride. And for me, it's not necessarily those three. Maybe you could say pride a little bit, but I don't know if it falls underneath that. Let me tell you what happens. I grew up in Puerto Rico, and I used to fight every single day. There's not a year of high school that I did not get suspended for fighting or middle school or elementary school. I got suspended 14 times in seventh grade, 11 times in, 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 in eighth grade. I had an assigned seat in internal suspension because they said, we're not going to keep sending you home. You got to do some classwork. And so I actually had my name tag on there. This was my seat. This is where I was, even through my senior year. 
you know, I, I, I got into fight. I mean, I love fighting. And my, my parents to try to channel that, they put me in Thai kickboxing, got a black belt in Thai kickboxing. I mean, I really enjoy fighting. And, and so, but one of the things that we grew up in Puerto Rico is not only with the fighting, but also very protective. And so one of the things that we used to do in Puerto Rico as a kid, we used to have this thing which says, tumbame la pajita. You, you knock the little stick down. They put a little stick on your shoulder. And it's like, if you want to fight, go ahead and knock it down. And if you knock down the stick, then you know that you wanted to fight. Sometimes the wind would blow the right way that it drops, and everybody's like, oh, and then just the fight was just on. I mean, that's sort of just how I grew up. And my brother and I, you know, I grew up with, with three brothers. It was the three of us. And my, my older brother and I, we fist fought every day, every single day. I told you guys before, my dad one time in the middle of preaching had to stop to break us up from fighting in the back. We were just gripping each other and hitting each other. And so let me tell you what happens. I find myself in an issues of Ellen White writing class in Michigan. And I'm sitting there, and there's this other fellow pastor-to-be student next to me. And, you know, um, and, and so I, I'm trying to point out something like, hey, what does it say right here? Because he's typing all whatever. And I touch the computer screen, and, and he says to me, yo, don't touch the computer screen. I'm hurry. You're like, what, this? And he slapped me in the face in the middle of class. And, you know, I'm, so, I'm studying. I'm doing my master's now. You know, I've done my bachelor's as a pastor. I'm doing my master's now to be a pastor. And, woo, you know. I, I felt some kind of way. I won't say his name, you know, because you may know him someday. The Adventist world is a small world. He did ask me to marry him some years later. Not, not me marry him, do the marriage for him. Um, but anyhow, I, I'm, 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 I'm there, and, and at that moment, I have this thing of fight or flight, and I just, you know what? I grabbed my stuff, and I walked away. He came out and said, brother, you need to walk away if you know what's good for you. You know, and I just walked away. We, later we talked and we made up or whatever. But what bothered me was the reflection of the following. Number one, the devil knew where to hit me. Money has never been an issue, man. I, I know what it is for the whole family to share a can of peanut, a, a bottle of peanut butter and a spoon. You know what I mean? Like, I'm good with money. It's never an issue. I'll sleep anywhere. Pathfinders taught me well. It's okay if I'm homeless. We will be good. But, 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 but the, 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 you, you touch my face, man. For Puerto Ricans, the face and your mama. Don't talk about my mama and don't touch the face. I mean, those are two things that you struggle with. And, and, and so here's what happens. After I got over the anger, after I got over the anger, I'm sitting there and I thought about it and I'll get angry again. And then I got, I feel sad because I'm saying, man, here I am working to be I was going to school to be a pastor. I'm serving as an associate pastor here in Indiana. And I'm doing all of these things. And I wanted to rip his head off. Christianity and love and turning the other cheek was all out the window. Jesus said some silly things like that. And I don't know what he means by that. And so I had the harsh reality that I needed to just sit down with God and really wonder what was it that brought me to that level. You see, during that time, I was counseling a, a couple and I had learned that one of them was going to this place called Emotions Anonymous. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And then, you know, in, in the counseling session, they share something to me interesting that in Emotions Anonymous, they say that you, that most people don't have control of their emotions for a maximum of 90 seconds. Some people, it's less. 
But a maximum, after 90 seconds, if you're still upset and shocked by something, you are choosing to be upset or shocked by that thing. Like when you first get the reaction, like, did he just do that? What? But, but after 90 seconds or so, you are choosing to dwell on that and bask in that anger and bask in those feelings and bask in those emotions. And so as I'm counseling them, I'm learning as well, and I'm saying, wow. And, and so I took that to heart. And so I took it to, to God, to, to my knees in prayer. And, and you know what? God has brought me a long way. First of all, I'm proud of myself for not ripping his head off. But I struggle because I really wanted to. And that is not the Christian way. You see, this is the whole thing. The world's looking at you. And if you react to the same circumstances and situations the way a child, who, someone who's not a child of God does, then how are you any different? If God is not working on you, I like to say, and I joke around sometimes, well, God is not finished with me yet. And that is true. But he's got to be doing something. You can't just come in here, spend here 20 years, and you're still exactly the same after 20 years. Something ain't right. Because I know my God is a power for God. And the only time he's powerless is if you don't let him. The only time he's powerless is if you don't allow him to work in your life, to work in you and through you for the benefit of all. And so, so, so for me, it's not woman. It's not uh, uh, you know, necessarily money. And I don't know if this falls under pride or not, but I struggle with being violated in some way. you know. And, and, and I've gotten much better with me. Oh, I've been beaten up, and I take it very well. It doesn't bother me much, but I still struggle with my family. I, I don't know if anybody were to beat up on the family. Ooh, mercy. You know, I, because it's that overprotective thing. Like, look, I can take it. Do it to me, but not to the babies. Come on. And so, so, so God is not finished with me yet, but he's brought me very far. Otherwise, that pastor would not be in seminary. He would be in the cemetery instead. And so, you know, it, it's, it would be a whole different story. But God is an amazing God. And so whenever you get tested, understand that your temptations will not be the things that are not a problem for you. If it's woman, guess what? Even if you're the ugliest person in the world, every woman will come at you like, hey, how you doing? Why? Because that's your temptation. And if it's money, you'll see that every car you go by, you walk by, their windows is down and their wallet is there. Why? 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 Because he will tempt you with whatever you're you're struggling with. If it's not your struggle, why would he bother? And he knows exactly what it is to do for you. That's why when that moment comes, you need to consider it all joy. This is for the perfecting of your character and of your faith. And ask for strength in Christ's name with faith and without doubt. Father God, only you can keep me from this. So please, Father God, give me the strength. Why? Because whatever you ask in the name of God, it will be given unto you. I'm not talking about a million dollars. I'm not talking about that fancy house or that fancy car. I'm saying in your spiritual walk. And you're saying, Lord, I keep stumbling over that same stump. Could you please remove that from me, Father God? And he is faithful and just to do so. My God is an amazing God. Share and confess your struggles. Lord, you know, please. Woo, come on. Share with him. Be honest. Be clear. Be transparent. The scripture reading for today, by the way, Work your way to Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to read for you John 10.10, which is the scripture reading. But you're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3. John 10.10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, this is Jesus, that they may have life 
and they, they ha- may have it more abundantly. My God wants you to be happy. My God wants your well-being. Church, it is okay to be happy. If you're having a tough time, if you're one of those sad, angry-looking Christians, perhaps it's because you really do not grasp what it is to have Christ living in your heart. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and when you have it, say amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and when you have it, say amen. Ephesians 3, 14, it says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's right. We're called Christians, right? 16, that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. I mean, you got to be grounded, not to smack him up in seminary, right? I mean, you got to be grounded in love. Verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what it is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. Do you really understand? And are you really grounded in the love of God to the point that you can see the depth, the width, and the height of his love? Have you really experienced the magnitude of God's love? One of the biggest challenges that we have as Christians and loving unlovable people is that we ourselves don't fully comprehend the love of God. As the love of God continues to grow in our lives, we cannot help it for the love to come out, to see others the way Christ sees it, the fact that they're brothers and sisters, the fact that they're our family. Sometimes we don't want to be near our own blood family, let alone our spiritual family. And this is a challenge. It means that God is not finished with you or that you're not fully understanding the, the, the width, the length, and the depth and height. Verse 19. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all, that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Do you realize your place here? The only way that the world is going to be blessed is through the love of Christ being experienced here in this church. It's through the love of Christ being experienced in this church. And when it comes to church, you know, when it comes to church, church is a, like a spiritual potluck. What you bring here is also what you come out with. You cannot come here when somebody speaks and you're saying, you know what, that message today, eh, eh." and yes, there are some exceptions, but here's the thing. If somebody opens the word of God and you get nothing out of it, that's a reflection on you and not the person who opened the word of God. What are you coming to church with? And are you willing to trade it, lay your burdens here, and receive what God is giving you? This is how it's meant to be. And so when it comes to this concept of being happy, we struggle heavily because we fully don't understand the love of God being perfected in us. And that is a challenge. Do not deny him. Let him grow and welcome him into your life. I want to read for you. 
just very briefly, verse 19 of Ephesians, in, in, in a couple of Bible versions, actually, I'll just do this one, the New Living Translation. It says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all of the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And in 319, one of the words there about experiencing is to go beyond or to surpass. Another word there about being full or fulfilled or complete, it means that you will lack absolutely nothing. Won't you allow God to work in you? I have a friend of mine that just before I came to this church a little bit over two and a half years ago, by the way. Yeah, in five months, it will be three years since I've been here. Um, he says to me, Joey, you know what? The more I tried, the more I fell, and I realized that we're completely useless without God. And I'm saying, yes. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you are. Yes, we are useless without God, and that's a good thing. See, this concept of it's okay to be happy, many people preach prosperity. They think everything is going to be fine. Everything is going to be well. There's the thing. Being happy has nothing to do with the absence of problems, but rather the presence of God. Is God present in your life? And it is to such a point that it doesn't matter what trials, you're able to just be filled with joy. You know, we were studying in, in our Bible school lesson this morning, in our Sabbath school classes, uh, about Paul. That even while in prison, he knew he was going to die, but he ministered to as many people as he could, even to all of the soldiers that were keeping him under guard in prison. He ministered to anyone, talking about going out in a loving way with a bang. And that's what he did, and that's what he made sure of. He wrote from there, and he was inspiring and everything. If I was locked up for whatever reason, especially for standing for a gospel, I don't know how kind those letters would be and how much encouragement would be in those letters, but that's what he made it a point to be, that even through the chaos, he still welcomed it with open arms. Here's the key about having Christ in your heart. You let him in, and whether things are going well or bad, there will be peace and joy in your heart. So choose joy and consider it all joy. Now, I do want to tell you that we struggle sometimes being happy for a couple of reasons. Four quick points to mention. Number one, we struggle as a church because of our Puritan legacy. Let's face it. When during the dark ages, when we're running away from those wars and the persecution and everything, we came over here. The Bible says that the earth opened up and he gave us shelter and we came here, right? And when we came to this world, we brought a lot of our rigid traditions. And we kept a lot of that. This is the reason when I went to Kenya some years ago, they were wondering, you know, why is it that I wasn't wearing a suit and tie 24-7? They wanted me with a suit and tie nonstop because we told them that Christian must wear suit and ties, even if it's 145 degree weather. Because that is how we dress. Look at this from the, um, the article, The Puritan Laws and Character. It describes just a little bit of how it was in New England during the 1600s. A man was not permitted to kiss his wife in public. Captain Kimball, returning from a three-year ocean voyage, kissed his wife in his own doorstep and spent two hours in the stock for lewd and unseemly behavior. Now, this was not unusual, okay? It was part of a rigorous, strict Puritan culture of the day. And it was wrong to feel happy and let alone show it. It was wrong to feel happy and let alone show it. They had signs in businesses that would say, life is serious business, no frivolity allowed. That that, that means silliness. If you ask my kids, I would have been arrested a long time ago if I went to one of those businesses and there was no silliness, silliness allowed. 
So that's why we have a tough time having fun and really enjoying ourselves. That's why we have a tough time. If we need to, you know, clap at a song or something like, yes, praise God, glory, hallelujah. We struggle doing that. Why? Because that's way too much emotion. And we're afraid to do that. And part of that Puritan legacy has beat us up big time. The second thing is workaholism. We got brought up, when we, when we came here from our legacy, we came to this land, we're building, we're starting from scratch. This is an untampered place. There was very little life here. It wasn't like vast cities like it was over there. It was a little bit different, and they worked really hard. Here's the problem with workaholism. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. If you have a spouse who's a lazy bum and doesn't want to work and you're saying, I'm dragging you and I'm doing whatever, it's great when somebody wants to work. That is wonderful for that. But here's the thing. When it comes to workaholism, two things affect you. Number one, in the physical, earthly life. It affects you. Why? Because some of us work too much at the expense of my family. Oh, I didn't get to show up to their birthday parties or their football games or whatever you want to do, fill in the blank there, but I was working to provide for them. Family is more important. If you're sacrificing your family for the sake of income, then you need to do something different and get your priorities checked. Completely, completely checked. You are killing yourself and missing out on your family for a job that will replace you in a heartbeat. You quit today or they fire you, and by tomorrow, don't have somebody else. Don't have 50 applicants lined up so that they could also go to that torturous place. And so why are you doing that? I want to tell you this. If you listen to nothing that I said today, pay attention now because this is very dear to me. Number one, God. Number two, family. Number three, your health. And then you could plug in whatever you want. In the case of me as a pastor, the church, you, you play fourth place. You know, for for me, hell, family, God, and then you. And I'm not going to compromise my family or my health for the church. I will sacrifice almost everything but all of that. And some of you are saying, I got somebody that harassed me the other day because I was on vacation. I didn't know pastors took vacation. Really? Even God rested on the Sabbath day, and he's God. It's okay for me to take a week or two off, isn't it? And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You have to take care of your health. You're killing yourself. For a job that will replace you in a heartbeat. Now here's the flip side of, uh, of workaholism. The problem is that you think you could do it all because at work, when I need to make more money, put in a couple of extra hours, do a little extra marketing. When I need to produce, work extra hard, come in a little bit earlier, leave a little bit later. So when it comes to my spiritual life, I just need to, to ground my feet more and work extra hard. The sooner you realize that you're completely useless in the spiritual battle without the supreme God, the better off you will be. Allow him to work in your life. Number two, low self-worth. Low self-worth is another challenge that we struggle for being happy. We've been told so many things, you know, I, I love, I started a marketing class when I, when I went to school for business some years ago, and it used to crack me up how the ads back in the day for the ladies, by the way, ladies, you are never going to be pretty enough for society. No matter what you try, back in the day, they were too skinny. And so, they would sell this thing of fat that says, hey, you can eat this, and in just two weeks, you will gain 10 pounds, so you can get that plumpy, fluffy look that your man desires. This was something that was being promoted in the 50s. And that was A-OK. And I'm looking at the advertisement then about how to gain weight because you're too skinny. And your men wanted you thick. And now it's the other way around. Now you're too thick. 
We need a stick with a wig and some high shoes, and we're happy. And so you're never going to be good enough. So stop trying to live up to society standards because society can be retarded sometimes. How about you focus, instead of looking a certain way, focus on behaving a certain way. Focus on seeking justice and loving mercy and walking righteously with God. That matters much more than your outside look. Focus on being healthy in the inside. Forget how you look in the outside. I've seen some guys in the gym. I used to personal train about 80 pounds ago. And I've seen some guys in there that they're just this big. And, you know, they walk into the room. And you can't help but they just go, wow, excuse me, sir. Didn't mean to offend you, sir. After you, sir. Because, I mean, they're just buff. And they're passing out of heart attacks because they're taking things to try to make it look like this. But the inside is rotten. And so focus on ingesting healthy things rather than looking like how the world wants you to look because the trend will change eventually. I heard bell bottoms are back and pretty soon other things will come up too. And so, you know, it's okay. Just focus on being healthy. What about limited vision? Let me tell you this. I love how God works because if you were to take a picture of my life, many times two things I heard in Spanish. You've heard me say this before. Asombroso, like, wow. Just people in awe wondering and just, just how in the world did I come up with a new way to mess things up or break something or hack something or do something. It's like, mm-mm-mm, asombroso. And then other times, ah, there it goes, hijo del diablo, child of the devil. Oftentimes there were the two things that I heard, either el hijo del diablo or mm-mm-mm, asombroso. If you were to look at pieces of my life, Who would have guessed that one day I would be before anyone like you sharing about what an amazing God we serve? Who would have thought that I may even have a chance at heaven? Because as far as they knew, I was working for the other team. Like, I was one of the generals for the other team. And, and, And so, you know, this is the thing. God looks at who you can be if you let him in, not who you are right now. You are not who you currently are. You are not a reflection of your past mistakes. You are whom you allow God to make you be. My God sees you for who you can be. And yes, you may have been broken. You may have been hurt. You may have had some addictions in the past. You may have had some struggles, some challenges. You may have fallen flat in your face. But with God, we're all innocent children before his eyes. And he's a God that is willing to work in you and through you for the benefit of all. The last one, last one, is messed up priorities. You know, the Bible tells us clearly, love God, love your neighbor, go ye therefore. You remember a couple of weeks ago when I told you that story about the hiker where the guy was dangling and somebody says, hey, didn't you read the sign and didn't you read the manual? That is not what the person needs right now. If they're dangling, they need you to throw them a rope and help them up, not tell them how they should read pages 27 to 28 of the hiker in you manual and also where's his hiking buddy and everything else. Do you ever remember that? If you weren't here for that, the point is that sometimes the rules are not as important as people. The rules are important as long as they don't get in the way of people and putting people in danger. And I'm telling you, this is how my God works, and we have seen that. People matter most. You've heard me from the last sermon before, too, and I mention it again with the Sabbath keeping. Remember, Jesus healed the guy on Sabbath, take up your mat and walk. They say, hey, why are you carrying that mat on Sabbath? Well, the guy that healed me said to carry, he's healing on the Sabbath. Guys, how can we kill him for doing this? So planning a murder on Sabbath was okay, but carrying a mat and healing was not okay. 
And sometimes in the church, we get caught up doing that. Remember your priorities, and that will help you to really be happy. It is okay to be happy, church. I'll read you this last quote, and then we pray from Charles Kingsley, a 19th century clergyman and a university professor and historian. He's a historian, too. And here's what it says. Make it a rule never, if possible, to lie down at night without being able to say, I have made one human being at least a little wiser, a little happier, or a little better this day. Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we come before you. Lord, we have been taught that church is serious business. That we have to be serious. That it is irreverent to even smile or raise a hand. Well, reverence has nothing to do with how loud something may be or how much you are moving or not moving. Reverence has to do with the condition of heart. I can sit in this church completely quiet and be thinking horrible things about my fellow brothers and sisters. That's more irreverent than somebody standing up or clapping or singing or raising their hands when they pray. Reverence is a condition of the heart, not what is manifested outward. And so, Father God, the world, if they see us responding the same that other people do, why would they want anything to do with you, Father God? We need you to work in our lives beginning with me. That your joy can be fulfilled in our lives. So that it doesn't matter what happens when people see us as, wow, there's something so refreshing about you. I want some of that. What is it? And we can say, well, we have a Savior, an amazing God that came. Not that we may die. That's what the thief does. He comes to kill and to steal. But he came so that we may have life and that we may have it more abundantly. And that they say, tell me more. Father God, we don't need to tell the world, but show the world what a joy really is to be lost and not be found, to be blind and not be able to see. What a joy it is to know that we were supposed to die, but we have been redeemed. What a joy it is to know that it doesn't matter how much I've fallen, you are a loving, merciful Savior, Savior, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. That doesn't matter how ugly it's been, you say to me, hey, Joey, where are those that condemn you? Neither do I. Go and don't do it again. Please continue to grow in our lives. May your joy grow within us and that we may always look at every challenge, everything that comes our way with joy because this is for the growing and the perfecting of our character and faith. Bless us and keep us. Continue to give us the strength to endure between now and the time that you come again and give us many opportunities to share with others what a mighty God we serve, that the church can really be the love of Christ that goes out to all generations unto that great coming of the Lord Jesus forever and ever. Amen.